Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. All right, so the, the last time that we got together, it was quite a while ago. Um, I wish we could have done this sooner, but at the appointed time, things just kind of fell into place. Last time we spoke about Ruth, and it was a very long session. I commend you for sitting through it and even smiling up until the end. You are amazing people. <laughs> so tonight we are not going to speak about Ruth. We've done that exhaustively. Is that a, a nice word? Estelle, I will ask you afterwards. Then I was thinking, I am not going to speak about Esther because everybody is going to expect me to speak about Esther. But because I mean, because there's only two books in the Bible with a female name. So <laughs> when you've got a woman's evening, why not do the female books? Ne? So there's a little bit of a rebel in me. So I guess that's also one of the reasons why God is constantly humbling me because of my rebellious side. But I, I just said to myself, I'm not going to do Esther. So as I'm spending time with the Lord and asking him to bring his word, um, a word in season, something that is relevant for us today, I, I got this message that I, that I had to talk to you about a prophetic word that God shared with me at the end of last year. So as I'm praying into this and trusting God to just open up, where should I go into scripture to ground this? I spend time with a friend. And she's telling me the amazing stuff. You will meet her later. She's sitting here in the front here. Very talented young lady. She was telling me about the amazing stuff that God was sharing uh, with her while she was journeying through the book of Esther. And as she's talking, I'm like, oh, that's my message. So I decided we will not do Esther, God said. Said who? <laughs> so we're going to talk about Esther and we're not going to cover the whole book. There is just not enough time. There are so many amazing things, so many amazing themes that arise from the book of Esther. But I'm going to stick to chapter 3 and chapter 4. So, here we go. Who, whom of you know the, the story of Esther kind of well? Raise your hand. Okay, don't worry. I will read it to you, the portions that we get to. So what happens is, there is this king. And I have to, I'm going to say this once, and then you're going to repeat it to the person next to you. The king's name is Ahasuerus. <laughs> say that to the person next to you. <laughs> I am not going to struggle through that one alone. So... <laughs> So the book of Esther happens about a hundred years after the Jews were taken away in the Babylonian exile. And the king's name is, wait for it, Ahasuerus. 
or as the Greeks say, Xerxes. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> Just so glad it's not my name. Anyways, so this king has this queen, Fashti. All right? So they are gearing up for this massive battle and they have a six month long party. Wow. Okay. So as they gear up for this battle, they have this party and the king is a little bit tipsy and he says to all of his advisors, Ali Belong Rakamensa, you should see my trophy wife. Please call Fashti. And bring her with her crown. What is a trophy now? Sonder iets blank. So Fashi says, "Dat niet een manier, nie. Hello. I can't miss. That's it. Okay. So Fashi says, "There's no way I'm going into that drunken little party with my very pretty crown." So he says, okay then, ta-ta, fashti. And then he goes into this battle. Now between chapters one and two, there's this massive battle. Who of you have seen the movie 300? Yo, Jelle, gee ons nou ons ouderdom hier weg. So for the older people here, we've seen 300. Ne? So it's this massive battle about these guys in this narrow pass where they hold of this massive Persian army. Do you remember that? That is basically based on history, and that is the battle that happened to poor Ahasuerus' army between chapter 1 and chapter 2. So he comes back. He was beaten by a very small army, and I lack say wonder. And I say, I could mama lift in So he said, he wants a new queen. <laughs> I think I was picky spite that gestuur. So they've got this massive beauty pageant, and there's this Jewish girl, Jewish girl, and I don't know why we, we think it's her uncle, Mordechai, who works um, there in the main city of Susa, um, but it's actually her cousin, but he's a bit older. So she's an orphan girl, she comes there, she's very pretty, and the king's people take her, and she is being prepared for 12 months before she sees the king. Can you imagine a year longer spa for Gansi? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So she's there for quite a while, the king takes to her, he really likes her, and he says, you will be my new trophy wife. So that's the background story. All right, you are with me? Great. So in chapter three, we're gonna go on there, but I want to quickly read to you what they say about the guy called Mordecai. I don't know if it's Mordecai or Mordecai is. English people, it's Sekakai, ne? Kai. But this is Afrikaans, ne? Yo, I'm gonna say Mordecai and I'm gonna say shop. Okay, so there we have it. He was, now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, of Jair, son of Simei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. So it's obvious he is from Jewish descent. All right? So he is from the tribe of Benjamin. Another role player especially in chapter 3, is Haman, or Haman. 
After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamedata, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. Remember, Mordecai is the Benjamite, and then we have Haman the Agagite. He was a very powerful guy. He was basically second in charge in the kingdom. In verse 5, we read, And when Haman saw, Uvach, before I do that, so what happens is, this Haman guy is by a fool for himself. Ne? He really likes his own voice and his own reflection probably as well. So he goes around in the city and people have to bow down before him out of respect, right? Obviously Mordecai is not going to do that because he is Jewish. He does not bow before anyone else but his God. And then when Haman finds it out, this happens. He saw Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him. Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of that very difficult name. So what I want you to take note of, Haman did not like the fact that Mordecai wouldn't bow down before him. Then he went and he did some investigation. And the moment that he found out that this guy was a Jew, he said, I don't just want to kill him. I want to annihilate all of the Jews. That's a bit drastic, isn't it? Either he was very theatrical or there's something else in play. All right. If we think about the... That is why mafia movies, the Godfather movies, they take out a guy in the family. But taking out a whole race or a nation, those we get off. We're going to go on and we're going to see where it plays a role. Verse 11, And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. What happens just before this verse is Haman manipulates the king into agreeing to send out a decree by which a certain group of people will be killed. He didn't actually mention to the king that it would be the Jews, probably, because the king would say, but they are such a peace-loving community. Why should we, you know, do this? So Haman just said, there's this rebellious group. I think they are putting your life in danger and they are... They want to bow down to me and you. And he gets the king's signet ring. And a decree is created. Verse 12, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps, and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples. To every province in its own script and every people in its own language, it was written in the name of the king. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews. Listen to the words, young and old, women and children in one day. 
the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So the decree says, we will kill all Jews in one day, young and old, women and children, and we will plunder their goods. And a copy of this document was sent out through all of the provinces in all of their official languages, so that there's no confusion. Crazy stuff, ne? Interesting. Something happened in the history, a couple of generations before Haman came onto the scene, and I want to read it to you. It is from Exodus 17. What happened here? The Israelites were in Egypt, and the whole thing with Moses and the plagues happened. And then Pharaoh said, take your people, and I dadelijk dit berouw. Have a spite. So he set after them with his chariots and all of his men. And what happened is God opened up the Red Sea, and the Israelites moved through it. You remember that story? This happens just after that. When they got through the Red Sea, they had a moment of rest. Remember, they packed all of their stuff, anything that they could carry, in a night, in one night, and they fled the city. And then it was just running and running with the great stofwolk that after you come and you weet you come for in great nonsense. <laughs> so what happened on the other side of the Red Sea, they just took a moment. And then there was this guy, a king named Amalek, and he attacked them. He attacked <laughs> those people who've just fled for their lives and just took a moment to breathe. And that angered God. What happened is God said, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Recite it. Say it oor in oor in oor. We will not forget. We will not forget Amalek and his attack on our people while we were vulnerable. And Moses built, no, that will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God made a proclamation of war against all of the children of Amalek on that day. And we see it recorded in Exodus 17. What does this have to do with anything? I'm going to show you. So, 1 Samuel 15. It says, And Samuel said to Saul, Saul has been newly appointed the king of Israel. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Sound familiar? Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Listen to the words. But kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Sound familiar? That's not coincidence. God is saying to Saul through the prophet Samuel. Wait. 
My earring is making a funny sound. In Orwell. Um, he's saying, you have to go now. Do you remember the promise that we made? The promise that I made? The declaration of war from Exodus 17. It's time. It's time. You are the first king of Israel. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is you need to go and you need to wipe out Amalek and all of his descendants. And the words... Kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Does it sound familiar to Haman? He says, um, let me just find my place. Where is my place? Destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom. Oh, that was fine. Do you remember it? You remember it? Donkey. So what Haman said also is we will kill all of the Jews, women, children, and then we will plunder their goods. God said kill women, children, and kill all of their goods. Right? What did Saul do? the opposite. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from whatever, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, sound familiar? Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. And Saul and the people spared Agag, aye, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatted calves, and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So what they did is they killed all of the other people except the king, Hagag. Who was Haman? An Agagite. Ha ha ha, slump. So he didn't kill Ag um, Hagag. And he took the best of the oxen and the sheep and whatever. So then Samuel goes back to the king after the Lord said to him, listen, Samuel, Saul did not do what I commanded him to do. So Samuel goes back. He asks the king, so, het jy gedoen? Hmm? <laughs> and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Is he lekker baby? And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Ah, et gafang. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. What happened after this, you can go and read it. It's kind of hectic. God says to Saul, I am done with you. I'm going to get a new king. Your disobedience angered me. I'm done. <coughs> then what does Samuel do? Samuel goes, in verse 32, this is a bit gross. <laughs> then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. <laughs> Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. Surely we could bury the old, bury the old hatchet. Eh? 
Exodus 17 was so long ago. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. How crazy is that? So when Haman, who obviously knew his own history, found out that Mordecai was a Jew, the same Jew that hacked one of his forefathers to death, he was beyond angered. Before there was a Hitler, there was a Haman. There is a spiritual battle raging behind the scenes, whether we can see it or not, and whether we want to admit that it's there or not, it's there. We see two forces, cosmic forces, fighting. Satan wants to destroy the children of God. He wants to destroy the Jewish people. And God is stepping in the gap and he is saving them. And he uses people like us to do it. But you need to see this. There is a spiritual battle going on and it's still going on today. We like to live over that fact. We like to believe that there is a God and there is a heaven, but we don't like the flip side of the coin that, there, that, that says there is a Satan and a hell. We kind of just jump over that topic because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Maybe something will be expected of me. We're going to go on. Esther 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Interesting. <laughs> in every province to which the edicts and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Alweer is ons levens in gedrank, gedrang. Alweer is daar iemand wat ons wil uitwipe. Why? Hoe kom jyre? Wat nou? Wat moet ons doen? Have you felt like that? God, there's another obstacle. There's another obstacle, Lord. I've just overcome the previous one. I've just taken a breath. I've just had a moment. And now there's the next one. So they, they tore their clothes and they put on sackcloths and they put ash in their hair and Mordecai is mourning and wailing loudly and very publicly. Why do we, interesting, why do we always say when we ask each other, how are you doing? We say, oh, nie lekker goed net bezig. <laughs> why don't we sometimes just take the courage to put on our sackcloth and say, I need a moment. 
it's tough. I'm going through something tough. Nee? We have this very fake life, life that we live to people outside. Even those that we do know would actually help us through this. We just pretend it's okay because kind of it's expected of us. I don't know. Ons allemaal het ons een superwoman pakkie hieronder aan. Interesting. What does Esther do? When Esther, eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept. Oh my goodness, can you see what's happening here? So Esther is in the palace, ne? like a willy butt, like a fragrance butt. Ne? And she's looking out of the window and there poor Mordecai is in his sackcloth and his ashes and I like rough. And she's probably thinking, oh, this is a bit rough financial. And she's here for Mordecai, a opaki, with a care package. Obviously, she has no clue what's going on outside of the temple. And we also tend to dwell <laughs> in a fog of physical comfort. Nee? Ik heb een warm bed. Ik heb kos op mijn tafel. Ik heb geliefdes rondom mij. Ik heb een standvastige inkomsten. En ik mag kerk toe gaan op een zondag en op een woensdag. Ik mag hardop zingen wanneer ik bij die kerk is. Dat is niemand wat mij gaan persecuteren voor nie. Dit gaat te goed met ons. We are living in this fake world where we are so attached to that which gives us comfort. We are not seeing the battle that is raging in the spirit, or in the spiritual realm, the battle for our husbands, for our boyfriends, for our friends, our mothers, our children. We are not seeing the enemy's attack because we are relaxing in comfort. May the Lord have mercy on us. So what happens next is Mordecai sends a message. Um, so the care package arrives. He says, no, I don't want it. I'm in a different space. I don't need money or clothes. And he says, just tell the queen about the, the decree that went out. And he gives the messenger a copy of the decree. Because she is just absolutely oblivious about what's going on outside. And Mordecai asks her, do something about this. Help your people. The message arrives, and Esther's first answer back to Mordecai is, I can't do that. Don't you know that there's this law that you can't approach the king without him summoning you? Otherwise, you will die. <laughs> It is punishable by death. And except for that, I haven't been called to his chambers for 30 days. She's saying, I don't know where I'm standing with him. I don't know if I still have his favor. If I go now, I will die. How selfish is that, guys? A whole nation will be annihilated in about 12 months. And she's saying, no, I, I don't think I can do this. There's this law 
En ik weet niet of hij die boodschap gaat ontvangen. Ik weet niet van mij nog like niet. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is saying, I trust God. God will provide a way for his people like he did every other time in history. But you have a choice. You and your house will be blotted out as well. You too will suffer. God will provide for everyone else eventually down the line. He's got a plan to save us. But if you keep quiet, you're in the same boat. So the prophetic word that I believe God gave me is that he wants to save our families, our marriages, our children. He wants to heal us and he wants to bless us. But it's going to start with us, the women. Because new life and birth comes from us. We keep waiting for the men in our lives to stand up as priest and prophet and king while God is calling us to be Esther's. With the divorce rate being what it is in Secunda, you can imagine the state that our children are in. What if God is calling you to get up out of your foggy, place of comfort and security and asking you to take a chance and trust him to use you to save your people, your house. What Esther did next was just amazing. She said, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law and if I perish, I perish. She had a moment. She had a moment wherein she experienced the calling that God gave her. Because just maybe she was in the city for a time such as that. And what she does, she does two things. She says, tell all the Jews to do this with me. Why? Because I can't do this on my own. And guess what? You don't have to do it either. <laughs> you don't have to be an Esther on your own. You don't have to do it in isolation. Look at the people sitting around you. Quickly, have a look at the people sitting around you. These are the handmaidens God has given you to support on, to, to call in for support and to lean on. It takes a whole body. <laughs> 
Usually when God calls us for something, it is way bigger than we can handle on our own. We need each other. The second thing she does is she says, I will go and fast for three days and three nights. She's not taking it lightly. Where do you and I go with this calling? Ons gaan in ons binnenkamer in. En ons maak tyd om by God te hoor hoe lyk hierdie. God, how does this look? How can I be an Esther for my house? For the people that you have given me. How does this look? Because guess what? God talks. <laughs> he created everything that you see by using his words. He loves speaking to us. But we don't sit still for long enough to actually hear what he's saying. How can you be an Esther in the calling that God has given you to save your household, to bring healing and deliverance to your household? You make other people part of it. Lean on them. Ask them for guidance if you really have no idea how to do this. Make the body of Christ part of what you are going through. And get to your secret, sacred space with Jesus. I want to invite you tonight. If you want to be an Esther, Will you please stand with me so that I can pray with you? I'm going to ask Garmut to just put on something. Just If God is speaking to you in your heart about being an Esther, being called for a time such as this, being used as an instrument to bring new life into your household, stand with me. And you can, in your own words, just talk to Jesus about how does this look. You don't have to figure it out on your own at all. Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing work that you are doing in our hearts. Lord, I can see where I have grown accustomed to a very secure and a very safe space where I'm not really challenged with what is going on spiritually around me. Lord, I can see where I have become accustomed to what you have given me materially all of the security that I have in this world Lord I want to give it back to you I don't want to go through life with blinkers on I want to see what you are busy with I want to see the, the, move, the moves that you are doing on the chessboard for my family Lord and I want to raise my hand and say, I will be like Esther, Lord. I will go, even if I perish, I will go. But whatever Satan's plans are for my lineage, for my family, it stops with me. It will not continue to the generations that will come in future, Lord. It stops with me. I will put my hand in the air and I will say, Lord, I am Esther. Show me how. And show me the people that I should pull into this conversation. I don't want to do it alone. Lord, I need, I need people around me that actually care about me. 
people who want to hear what is on my heart and how I am doing. Holy Spirit, show me. Show me who those people are. Show me where I can go and sit on a couch somewhere and unburden my heart. Lord Jesus, I declare that my lineage is yours. My lineage is yours. My lineage is yours. My children are yours. I speak the name of Jesus into their lives. Lord, may their lives testify of you, of your love. May they have a very real encounter with the Holy God. I speak Jesus into my husband's life. I speak Jesus into my parents' lives. I speak Jesus into my siblings' lives. May they have an encounter with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, where there is distrust in my heart, where I struggle to trust your plan for my life, Lord, reveal it. Reveal that moment where it crept in because I want to give it back to you. With my brain, with my thoughts, I know that I can trust you, but my heart, my heart does not wholly trust. Lord, where distrust came in, just reveal it. Holy Spirit, lift that moment in the past, lift it up so that I can see exactly where it happened, what happened. And Jesus, I want to invite you into that moment. And I ask you to speak truth into it. Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with the people that I love. And I trust your plan for my life. I trust you that you have got this. That you've got it all worked out. And all that you are asking me is obedience.